This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. You know, in my political past, there, there was a, uh, a period of time in the South Carolina State Senate you could recognize a senator for a point of personal privilege. And um, I guess one of the advantages of having a podcast in your namesake is, a, is an opportunity to do things that you want to do. And, um, and when we began kind of controlling our own destiny as it relates to podcasts, we thought about a lot of different ways we could um, integrate our local community. That's going to be a priority. It is a priority. It will always be our priority. We've had uh, a few podcasts published with our um, CEO of the local hospital and uh, largest employer here. Uh, Donna Isgett, we've had Dr. Fred Carter, President of Francis Marion University. Uh, we'll continue to try and super serve our local area. Uh, but one thing that that I'm probably more passionate about than than than, uh, than politics, South Carolina politics, is Gamecock football. So the next however long it takes is kind of a point of personal privilege for yours truly and um, being in somewhat control of a of a podcast. I want to thank our sponsor, and I'll get to our guest here in just a second. But I want to thank our sponsor. I took this idea to Rick Havacost at Mickey Finn's, and Rick has been a loyal Gamecock uh, financially, uh, emotionally. Um, he, he rides the roller coaster like a lot of Gamecock fans do, but he's never wavered in his loyal and financial support. So I went to Rick, and I said, Rick, you, you know, we're in the era of NIL, and Gamecock football historically has – I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, as, as a loyal Gamecock fan, it's kind of been mediocrity personified. And I said, we, we live in this new world. We live in this, um, in this new era of college football where NILs are going to be a big part of this. And I want to help the Gamecocks be successful in the NILs. Automatically, Rick said, what do you need me to do? And I said, I need a sponsor. And I know how much you love uh, the Gamecocks, USC, and Gamecock football. I need a sponsor. He said, I'm in. Tell, tell me what I need to do. And I said, what I want to do is have a monthly podcast with a representative from Garnet Trust, what I consider to be the premier collective in, in USC land. And he said, okay, I'm in. Tell me what I need to do. And I said, well, I mean, just, just you know, obviously there's a cost associated with hosting a podcast. Um, he said, I didn't ask you how much it was. Tell me what I need to do. But I want to make sure I give something in return. I, I'm not out for a free ride. I certainly don't want a freebie. And, I, and Rick and I negotiated a deal that he's comfortable with and I'm comfortable with. And Mickey Finn's One Stop Party Shop is the exclusive sponsor of our monthly Garnet Trust. I guess it's an iteration of No Stop Lights, but it's really separate of that. It's, um, it's a monthly podcast that we'll do to kind of update, inform, engage, uh, however big a listening and viewing audience we can find about the NIL era in college football and why Garnet Trust is worthy is worthy of your support. Before I get to our guest, I said that once, I'll say it again. Um, I want to thank Havacost. Rick uh, actually gave us some bourbons here, some Jefferson's Reserve single barrel. Um, and this is hand-picked. I mean, this is hand-picked by the staff at Mickey Finn's. They do such a, a great job of taking care of their customers. I uh, got one on the west side of town, one on the south side of town, and soon to be one out on the interstate, 327, uh, near Bucky's Yellowstone. Um, hand-picked collection. Uh, I feel bourbon is more of a wintry uh, and tailgating kind of um, of, uh, of libation. But, uh, but, but I would encourage you, what, whatever, whomever out there partakes in libations, you owe it to yourself to go to Mickey Finn's and make sure um, they give you the best deal, best service, best quality of product, and they're setting us up so we can kind of, uh, you know, Jefferson's Reserve Single Barrel. I'm an old-school Jeffersonian, and... Um, I mean, I'm telling you, I've tried this at the tailgate. It makes you want to recite the Declaration of Independence if you take a sip or two or three. And some of these other, all this is handpicked. I mean, it's kind of an exclusive relationship with Mickey Finn's because of their buying power, because of their presence in that in that libation and and uh, and bourbon market in this particular. And bourbon is such a story. I mean, there's it's hard to tell a story about vodka. It's easy to tell a story about about bourbon. So we've got some here. I got a couple of bottles here. Uh, this and many others. And I mean, obviously they they've got your, your your traditional brands of bourbon, vodka, whatever, whatever libation and uh, and booze you're looking for. But they also, on top of that, have these exclusive brands, handpicked brands, where they partner with these premier 
um, Premier Bourbons and, and kind of put their own personal stamp as they send someone from Mickey Fins to uh, to pick the product, make sure it passes their muster. And, um, and and now's a good time for me to introduce our guest. Mark Benoit, been a friend of mine for a long, long, long time. Mark's father, Rick's a good friend of mine. Uh, when I was talking about point of personal privilege, when I ran for lieutenant governor and got elected, Mark shadowed me one day. And I didn't let him back because I was afraid they'd make me shadow him. He was uh, impressive as a young person, and I still consider him a young person, but he's not a kid uh, anymore. And uh, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll preface this, Mark. And, and first of all, welcome and good to have you here. And you've got a couple of bourbons yeah, over there. Yeah, I do. I've and got- and you know Rick, and you know how Rick supports the Gamecocks and and USC. Absolutely. Uh you know, the Havocost clan has been a been a big supporter of, of Gamecock Athletics for a long time and, and Rick's got a great thing going on with Mickey Finn's one stop party shop and uh we continue to to enjoy some of their libations at, at tailgates and and hope our fans do as well. But um they're they're what, the largest distributor of alcohol in, in the state of South Carolina, I yep. think. And so and they are actually the uh distributor of alcohol for uh, Williams Bryce Stadium. Correct. They, they Correct. So they, they've they, earned that business. They, they, they have yeah. absolutely earned that business. No, nobody they, gave uh, him that business. They get out and hustle and, and drum it up and earn it. And 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 I guess this is um. I mean, we we could go down the road of um. So you got Rick helping us here. Um. And and I and I want to. I want. I don't want to back all the way up. And I won't tell the entire story because it gets real complicated. And you folks would be bored bored to death. But there was a moment in time last year that I got asked to get involved in a collective. And I knew what a collective was, but I didn't know how it worked. I didn't have any idea. And and out of that came a gathering of a group of like-minded Gamecock fans that set, that felt we understood how important collectives were, uh, how important they were going to be, and, and an opportunity for us to succeed in places we've historically not, not succeeded. I'm not knocking the administration. I'm not knocking the fan base. I'm not knocking the team. I'm not knocking the coaching staff, but, but it's different today. And it's different because the Ed O'Bannon case in EA sports allows college athletes now to be compensated. And Mark is the director of development with Garnet trust. Um, I'm on the periphery. Mark and I talk a lot about it. I'm a loyal Gamecock. He's a loyal Gamecock. We talked about Havocos being, being a loyal Gamecock, but a group of us loyal Gamecocks got together uh, six or eight, maybe 10 months ago, and decided we were going to be intimately involved and, and energetically involved in the collective that is Garnet Trust. So I want, I want to kind of defer to Mark and let Mark talk a little bit about what he was doing, how he ended up here, and, and kind of why you believe collectives will decide who succeeds or fails in college football in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Well, you know, Ken, we've kind of uh, we've kind of switched roles a little bit because I uh, I was in politics. Gamecocks was my hobby, and uh, and then all of a sudden, I, I in January I started with Garnet Trust, and so uh, the Gamecocks became my job. And I guess politics are now my my outside hobby. Politics are your job to a certain degree, <laughs> yeah, a and certain uh, and uh, and the Gamecocks are your hobby. So we're we're in opposite roles, but we we have a lot of like, like interests, but. Uh, yeah, I started with Garnet Trust in in January of 2023. Uh, me and my uh, partner colleague Jeremy Smith, he kind of handles the operation side of things. I'm, you said I'm the director of development. That's just a fancy way to to ask people for money um, because that's what it takes. But you you mentioned collectives. I mean, every school is pretty much ha- every Power Five school has a collective uh, now, and a collective is a a resource, a facilitator to pool money together from fans uh, to help compensate uh, student athletes for their name, image, and likeness you know, on that particular athletics program. Uh, we help anybody from the starting quarterback at South Carolina to someone who's on the women's track and field team. Um, and and everybody has, you know, some NIL value uh, to, you know, whether it, it, it values in dollar amounts. But, I mean, every single one of these student-athletes puts, you know, 25-plus hours a week on top of their schoolwork into their respective sport. Um, and, and, and sometimes even, you know, they're working a full-time job with their sport and they're, and they're still going to school and everything else. Uh, and they deserve to, to get compensated for their name, image, likeness. You've got schools that have, have started making, you know, upwards of hundred to $150 million a year, uh, in, in college sports. And a large part of that is on the, on the backs of these athletes who are working, you know, time and time again to, to, you know, go out in games, practices, film meetings, everything else. 
Uh, and so uh, they, they deserve to get compensated for their name, image, and likeness. Okay, let, let, let's start here, if you don't mind. So, so Gamecock football has, uh, I said earlier, been historically mediocre. How likely is Gamecock football to remain mediocre if we don't understand the important significance of a, of a collective like Garnet Trust and figure out a way to fund it? Mark, here's my point. When I got involved to begin with, before we passed the baton to you and it became a full-time job for you, I bumped into people who love the Gamecocks. They have given ability, but they don't like it. They, they like the way things were. The, the amateur student athlete, uh, you know, the, the $25 ticket. You touched on the business of college football. Along with the business came a, a reality and practicality. Student athlete was not going to do that for nothing. So, so, so let's, go, let's go down the road of can, can Gamecock football succeed if its fan base refuses to accept NIL as the new norm? You know, I can't guarantee success with, with you know, NIL support, but I can guarantee failure. If we don't have the, the I mean, you asked what the chances of, of us being mediocre long term it's, I mean, it's really not mediocre. It's, it's poor um, for, uh, for the foreseeable future unless we invest into a, into a strong NIL program. Do I think the market corrects itself and you know, makes it more competitive for other schools? Yeah, I think that happens. Um, but, uh, I mean, that, that's, it, it doesn't necessarily guarantee success, but not having it guarantees no success. So what do you tell the donors of the University of South Carolina, who have been unbelievably gracious. What, what do you tell them when they say, Mark, I want to win, but, but I just don't like this. I, mean, I like giving money to the Gamecock Club. I like giving money to the law school. I like giving money to the business school. I'm not sure I want to be a part of this. What, what, what is your response to that? Because you understand that things have been a certain way for a long, long time, and this is dramatic change. This is a little veer. I mean, this is a monumental shift in the way the game operates. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you got to look at it as an investment. So for the person that gives a full scholarship, I think it's 1500 bucks a year, I need you to give another $500, right? I mean, I need for the person that spends... $20,000 a year, I might need you to give another $5,000. For the person that spends forty, dollars it's another ten, dollars and, and, you know, upwards, right? I mean, you've got to look at that what, you know, for specifically for the folks that go to games and and spend their Saturdays seven, seven to ten times a year going to, to college football games, and then if you had basketball and baseball, which a lot of Gamecocks could do all three to all of that, then, you, I mean, it's a significant investment, but to me, it's an entertainment investment. You are doing it for entertainment ability, but how many times do you can go see a bad movie? How many more times? I mean, how many times are you going to spend money on popcorn and drinks and beer and tailgating and everything else to see a bad performance? Eventually, you're going to get you'll give up, you'll stop. And you know, and then people say, "Well, the Gamecocks haven't stopped, you know, for a long time." No, and we've got a little bit of taste of success every time. It almost seems that it's going to turn down. Um, you know, you go from from being 0 and 11 to to 8 and 4 the next year and beating the Georgia Bulldogs, and you know that that turns it that turns it um, around a little bit. But we uh, you know, I think for the folks that, like I said, if it's if you're not going to see a bad movie multiple times, and this is an investment, so you need to to give a little bit extra to make sure you're doing your part. If we get, if you had every season ticket, not every season ticket, if you had every person that came to a South Carolina game, seventy-seven thousand people is what the stadium holds, and they give ten dollars a month, you raise about nine and a half million dollars a year, and uh, and so I mean it, you know, for the for the folks to say I don't know if that's for me, I'm not asking to give a whole lot. But you can give a little bit extra on what you're already doing to make sure there's a good product on the field or court. Okay, let, let, let's go down this road. Because I believe the problem with college football, I'm not calling college football an, a niche sport. I mean, it's a national sport, but it's no NFL. The NFL allows the worst team to draft first. Right. They believe parity is important. They believe the intrigue of the game leads to a more interesting product. The haves and have-nots will never stop. I mean, there's no way the University of South Carolina can raise as much money as Texas, Texas A&M. I mean, they just can't. Uh, up through the ground, come a bubble in crude, but it's oil money. So, but, but, but why, why is the NIL and this opportunity good for the game in relation to parity? Oh, it's, I mean, it's great for the game. And that, that's an argument I tell people all the time, you know, is that, yeah, I use this as an example. For the, the college football playoff has been in existence since 2014. So we're coming up on this is the ninth season this year. Be next year be 10 years, and then it's going to, you know it's going to 12 teams next year. Um, there have been four teams that have 
what I would call have dominated. They've all been five times or more. So more than half of the times in the college football play that they've been there. It's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson. We don't call them that. We call them that bunch in the upstate. But right, I, but right. <laughs> but school in the upstate, right? Um, and they have all been five times. There is a really good chance that only one of those four teams makes it to the college football playoff. I think you could really argue that of all of a sudden, you know, Georgia slips up in an SEC championship game, Michigan beats Ohio State in the in the um, in the game, as they call it, in, in the Big Ten country. There's a chance that zero of the of those four teams are in the college football playoff, um, and and that's I mean that that's a that's a wild thing. But I think that it's better for the sport. The college football rate, TV ratings are higher now than they have been in the last ten years. It's a more interesting product. It, it is more interesting product. You've got Texas beating Alabama on national TV in front of 12 million people, I think, were watching that. I mean, that those are those are Monday night football TV viewership levels. Um, and, you know, you've got a team like Florida State who is, you know, has traditionally been a pretty good school, traditionally been a good football program, but has, you know, struggled here in the last couple of years. Um, and they have invested heavily into their NIL program. Um, and it, it's, it, is, it is paying dividends right now. This is a crazy statistic that I think really just highlights um, the transfer portal and in on. I know we'll probably dive in the transfer portal sure. a little bit later on. But Florida State against Clemson in an overtime game, they had 411 yards of offense. 410 yards of those offense came from a transfer football player. I mean, and that just highlight to me, that just highlights, yeah, it's an evo- it's an evolution in the game. Uh, but it highlights how you can you can go from this is not three and four year building programs anymore. I mean, this is and, and don't get me wrong, you still have to have that. Sure. But but I mean, this is NIL allows folks to be competitive and more people to be competitive. Okay, walk me through two scenarios. Logistically, how does this work? Can the coach, can Shane Beamer at USC be involved in negotiating with Garnet Trust and a kid to recruit from a high school or keep him on the roster if somebody else is trying to poach him? You can't, uh, you cannot use it as a recruiting inducement. So, I mean, you know, I can't, I can't, I'm not allowed to enter into, and I have not entered into any conversations with any prospective student athletes. Um, you know, there, there are going to be student athletes that ask about what the NIL opportunities are whenever they're on their visit, right? But they're not allowed to engage with Garnet Trust in any form or fashion until they are a student registered on campus. Now, for, for guys that are for already on your roster, which is a big part of this, is retention, then we, we are actually about to start that process right now of, of guys that are, you know, the transfer portal opens up on December 4th. There are guys that we want to try to make sure that they stay Gamecocks um, and the NIL is important to them. And so we're going to have those conversations with those student athletes before, probably before the Clemson game, to be honest with you, before the last game, before okay, the last game of the regular but, but season. Correct me if I'm wrong. In the state of Missouri, the General Assembly intervened and allows the coach to be a part of the negotiation between player and NIL or collective. Yeah, and I don't know that specifically what the statute says in in Missouri. I do know that you know the, the coach can be more involved. Um, I don't know to what extent. Um, and then two that high school athletes that, that go to school in the state of Missouri, if they commit to a in-state institution, Missouri, Missouri State, any of those in-state institutions then they can go ahead and start receiving NIL dollars as soon as they commit to that Incentivizes the kid to stay stay in state. To stay committed and stay in state. That's correct. Okay, walk walk me through. Let's think of a a highly recruited player the Gamecocks have recruited. Nick Harbour. Nick Harbour was a five-star player, top 20 player in the country, depending on what rating agency you trust or believe. Nick Harbour shows an interest in South Carolina. Hypothetically, what does Garnet Trust do in regards to USC recruiting against Oregon, against I mean, I think it was Carolina and Oregon were, we're the final two. We're kind of the final two, yes. So, 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 so how can Garnet Trust play a part in convincing a Nick Harbor to come to USC instead of Oregon? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to lay out the NIL opportunities, right? And, you know, the biggest thing about Nick Harbor is that, you know, we didn't have, or Oregon has a couple five-stars, right? South Carolina had the, on the roster right now does not have a single five-star except him. Spencer Rattler would be considered in that category, but he didn't, he wasn't recruited as a five-star. Transfer except, Transfer. Um, a recruited five-star. He was, he'd be the first one since Jordan Birch. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think that NIL opportunities were presented to him as there's 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 business opportunities in Columbia. Columbia's in the capital city. I mean, you're, you're going to school in the capital city. You, they have an idea of what they can prop potentially make 
Um, but you know, they don't enter into a contract with the collective. They don't sign any kind of NIL deals with anybody associated with school until they get on campus. So like Nick Harbor, he committed and, you know, committed and signed his letter of intent in February. We don't enter into Garden Trust entered into agreement with them in June or July, whenever he got on campus. A kid that's already here. You talked about maintaining a roster, keeping a roster intact, keeping a roster in place. Is there coordination between the football staff and the collective is I, that legal? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we we have gone through with with Coach Beamer and and uh, Taylor Edwards, who is the director of player personnel. We will work with them to figure out what you know what guys we need to make sure we keep. You know, they're they, they're in that building. They understand if a kid is maybe unhappy with some of the nil opportunities he's gotten, um, or lack of nil opportunities that he's gotten, or if they feel like they have a better fit at another school. Um, I'm. I think that there are guys on on the roster that that know that they might be a better fit at another program, and they they, they might choose to just go into the transfer portal, not from an NIL opportunity standpoint, but just because they want to play, um, or they want to they want to get a different opportunity somewhere else. So they don't feel like they're being used correctly in the system, and that's the beauty of the transfer portal. Um, I know there are some downsides to it as well, uh, but you know if a kid doesn't feel like I say a kid, a student athlete, you know, a, a sophomore in college doesn't feel like he's being used the right way. Um, or the fact that he might want to move closer to home or have a, you know, have a girlfriend back at home, whatever it may be, that he wants to move, then the transfer portal gives him that opportunity. What about descent in the locker room? You, you got a quarterback making whatever. You got a left tackle not making much at all. You got a right guard making very, very, very little. Is, is it a confidence or, 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 or when, when, when a player – does a player sign a contract with Garnet Trust? They sign a contract with Garnet Trust, um, and they, they are typically paid out monthly. or. How, Okay, they're they're not paid to play football. That's correct. They're paid for their name, image, and likeness. That's right. So so you know if they sign a contract, they have to do certain deliverables outside of them playing football. Hypothetical would be what? It could be shooting a commercial for No Stop Lights with Ken Hart. Um, it could be shooting a commercial for Mickey Finn's you know one stop party shop. It could be going to volunteer at the Ronald McDonald House to serve food to to families who their children are in in you know the hospital. Um, and so, you know, each player has a different agreement. Um, we've, we've, we had a, I'll give you an example. We did an Xavier Leggett football camp here in Florence and we got, uh, a couple of guys from the football team. We got to put them on, put them in a bus and took them to, to Wilson high school and partnered with Wilson high school to do a football camp. Um, and we're able to bring a couple of the players. You, you teach the kids how to play football, some life skills. They get a signed t-shirt, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a good opportunity for the 50 to hundred kids that were out there that day. Um, and so that's part of their hours and their commitment with Garnet Trust. And there's a there, there's a valid contract. Yes. W what happens in case someone breaches the contract? Um, well, if you know if if we breach the contract, sure. we don't we don't uh, you know fulfill the fulfill, obligation fulfill our obligation financially, and we're we're liable for for suit. You know, it, it has to be settled in arbitration. You know, for them, they 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 are also liable for for. Uh, liable for for not fulfilling their contract the biggest thing is that if they don't fulfill their nil contracts they can be turned into the ncaa um and so the, the ncaa could would not, not prosecute i guess would be the wrong word but they could take action against that student athlete or rule them ineligible for for misusing nil dollars okay mark when, when i when i agreed to kind of participate in, in helping us uh, get some underpinning right. to, to the Garnet Trust um, Collective. I, I called around to some friends at other schools that I happen to you know interact with and have friendship and, and a relationship with. And some schools have done a better job of keeping their word than other schools. Yes. What what happens to some of those schools? What 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 sort of reputational risk is there if collectives make promises and don't fulfill those promises? Is that happening in college football today? And are we or are we worried about not being able to meet our obligations? Uh, we are not worried about being able to meet our obligations at South Carolina. We feel very comfortable that we're going to be able to meet our, meet our obligations throughout the rest of the, the calendar and school academic year. Um, you know, we try not to overextend ourselves um, and make sure that we have the, the revenue sources committed before we um, – you might not always have the cash in the bank, sure. but, but, but you have the revenue sources committed before you make those contractual agreements with a player um, or verbal agreements even sometimes with a player. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's a real thing. You know, I mean, I think uh, there are going to be multiple schools in the conference. I think it could be half the schools in the conference uh, don't meet their financial obligations. Now, I will say there's a caveat to that, right? Are they going to be liable? Is the collective going to be? You know, a lot. We of don't these, know yet. What? Right. And a lot of these schools have also done some of these verbal kind of agreements, right? Oh, we'll take care of you, right? You know, I think at at A and M, I'll give you an example. 
Um, it was widely publicized and advertised in 2022 that their football team, give or take, was, you know, as a whole, was they were going to spend about $9.5 million on their football team from an NIL perspective. A year, uh, six months ago, a report came out that they really only spent about $4.5 million. And the caveat is that you had, you know, some Texas oil guy say, hey, I'll give every offensive lineman, you know, $250,000. I'll give every offensive lineman $100,000, whatever it was, right? And then all of a sudden, it time's come to write the check. And he says, well, I'm not paying for the fourth string offensive lineman. And and so then all of a sudden, this, this four-star offensive lineman who committed to Texas A&M uh, decided that, you know, well, one, he wanted to play because he was the fourth, third or fourth string offensive lineman. Two, he kind of felt like he got shafted on a little bit of a, an NIL deal. And so he transfers, goes to play at, let's call it Duke University, and he's the starting, you know, starting offensive lineman at Duke University. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the Clemson Tigers want to know how Duke's offensive line got so good. Well, they're playing with a couple of Texas A&M talent because their coach came from A&M. And so all of a sudden, that, you know, that's where we go back to the parity aspect of it. And I think that we've seen it have some negative impacts on some plays, but I th- on, on places, but I think it really has a more parity positive impact. Oh, let, let, let's go here because I've heard this a lot. As I interact in Gamecock Nation to talk to friends of mine who have financially contributed and, and emotionally supported, one of the concerns they have is there seems to be, I think it's better now, but in the very beginning, and I get it, I understand it, I might probably be the same way. The university has a fundraising mechanism within called Gamecock Club you're kind of fighting for the same dollars. And early, it seemed to me that officials with the Gamecock Club and within the athletics department were afraid that if Mark and Ken convinced someone to give to Garnet Trust, they may give less to the university. I've always felt that the General Assembly could supersede some of the judgment. NCAA is a sanctioning body. It's not a damn lawmaking organization. I've always felt it's in all of our best interest. Maybe the university agrees, maybe it doesn't. I don't work for the university, I can say this. But I've always felt it's in all of our best interest to allow people who make contributions to Garnet Trust to receive some credit that helps them climb the ladder of better seats, better better parking. Is that something the university would consider? Is that a conversation that they're having? I understand, and I hate to use the word fiefdoms, but you've got one. I've got one. I mean, I got a list of sponsors here for the podcast. We're talking about, I mean, money's the answer. Now, what's the question? So, in, in essence, has the university been willing to engage in conversations, allowing folks who make contributions slash donations to Garnet Trust to receive some sort of benefit relating to the Gamecock Club or USC Athletics? Yeah, those conversations are ongoing. Ongoing. Obviously, we're always trying to— Is it illegal to do that via the NCAA stipulation? Well, you know, as you mentioned, the NCAA is not a lawmaking organization. Correct. So they may consider it against their rules, um, but a, a lawmaking body supersedes those rules. And so um, Texas, Missouri, um, a couple of these other schools have, have made some laws in, within their state uh, that make it a little bit more friendly to the to the institutions within their state. Um, and I think that that if something like that were to happen uh, in the General Assembly, it'd be it'd be favorable to Clemson and Carolina. And so I do think that uh, it allows for you know the the uh, lawmakers not to really have to pick a side or anything on that issue. I mean, I think that you know something like that could be could be beneficial. Um, I think those conversations are are happening. I think they're happening in the aspect that we're always looking for a way to you know not always have to go to the fans again and ask for more money, more money, more money. Um, and try to figure out a way to give them a little bit of benefit for their support of the NIL collective. Has the University of South Carolina accepted the importance of NILs? Yes, without a question. I mean, they they understand that, listen, if we don't have a good athletics program, which good athletics programs, as we all know, are based on the Jimmys and Joes and not the X's and the O's, uh, then we're not going to have people that are signing up to join the Gamecock Club. We're going to have less people that are filling into football and basketball arenas. Um, and football stadiums and basketball arenas and baseball stadiums. And, and those, are, those are the revenue generators. So they understand, yeah, the Gamecock Club is important to them, um, but TV contracts and ticket sales and, and concession sales are a big, big, big part of it. And you are not, you're not on primetime TV at 8 o'clock on ESPN or ABC or CBS unless you've got a good football team. Garnet Trust has a board. We did. Garnet Trust has two employees. That's correct. Yourself and Jeremy Smith. Yes. The two of you, I got to believe, are in constant communication with the football staff. How often and periodic do you interact with a Ray Tanner, a Chance Miller, 
a director of the Gamecock yeah, Club. Yeah, so we, we, we meet with the athletic administration every two weeks. Um, so Jeremy and I sit down. We kind of talk about what we've got coming up, you know, pledges that we've got. You know, and, and there's there's that aspect that you know they've got folks that they have relationships with. I've got folks that I have relationships with as far as fundraising goes, as far as planning and strategic ideas. Um, as you, if you're a Gamecock fan, you may have come to a couple games this year. You may have seen that there's a Garnet Trust ad that plays throughout the game a couple of different times throughout the game. Um, and so we kind of we strategize about how we can benefit the collective more, which obviously in turn benefits the the university. Is it fair to say, and this is where I probably get in my own way, but, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of known for that. I believe that in the world of NIL, where there's some left, some things left unknown. We don't know. You just said a second ago, uh, Missouri, I think the Missouri General Assembly did something that you could argue is in violation of the NCAA requirement. I'm going to throw a hypothetical and you tell me if we could do this and who would make this determination. If Mark Benoit, Jeremy Smith, the chair of the, the Garnet Trust Board, Ray Tanner, Shane Beamer, the president of USC, a board member or two, agreed in principle that we're going to take a certain percentage of TV revenue and allow that money to be added to the kitty of NIL, could we do that? Is there an interest in collaborating? In other words, I mean, I'm coming up with a hypothetical here. Let's say that Mark Benoit raises $3 million this year. If the General Assembly passed a law, could, at the university's discretion, they decide to match that $3 million and, and, and have a total NIL funded with $6 million? Right now, no, they can't. I mean, they're not allowed to use university assets, university but, dollars. But, but I added a caveat. If the General Assembly acted you're not asking the general assembly for additional funds you're simply asking them for some clarity and got it um is that something we should consider mark i, I think it's something that it's revenue sharing is what it would be considered sure. and well, but it, aren't and we heading there i mean there's a lawsuit in california i think I, you know it depends on what the courts decide sure and it depends on if lawmakers decide to get involved before the courts do um but i, I don't know if, i mean revenue sharing is great the only concern that i have about revenue sharing and we can go back to your question in just a second but the only concern i have about revenue sharing is it just gives everybody a new zero you know if we said to everybody in the conference okay you're going to get 10 percent of your contract revenue which i think next year is going to be 65 million and two years is going to be 75 million give or take and you know say okay we're going to give everybody in the conference seven and a half million dollars to or ten percent seven and a half million dollars to your collective then that, in, unless they cap it, which I don't foresee that happening. But the NFL's then, got a salary cap. They do, but they're controlled by the NFL. Correct. And, you know, but for me to sit here and, t but, but let me say this, they have a salary cap, but Aaron Rodgers can still go out and do as many Pepsi ads as he wants to and get paid a heck of a lot of money outside of Fair his enough. contract. Fair enough. Right. So then all of a sudden you're going to come to, you're going to come to Tennessee and say that Nico, who's going to be their quarterback next year, can't can't do any more deals outside. I mean, that, that, that gets into the whole area of where we just were, where you're telling athletes where you can't do that. But, but, are but you it not, gives everybody a new zero. Okay, but are you not concerned? And here's my concern. The NIL, the Ed O'Bannon case changed the world forever. Student athletes are not, I mean, historically it's been uncompensated athletic performance as part of your educational experience. You earned that scholarship by playing a game. The O'Bannon case changed that. It looks to me like when I read some of the language in the revenue sharing case in California, I think they're going to side with revenue sharing. If, if we start down that road, revenue sharing could open the door to collective bargaining, to the student athlete being an employee of the university. Did we pay him for overtime or not? Can they organize and create a players union or not? To me, the collective could be the layer of insulation. If the university decided to match the money that Mark raises, and, and we got that you got a pot of money, the university contributes to that pot of money, you disperse that money to the player, they're not technically, they're not technically going to pull with the university because the university doesn't compensate, the the collective does. They, right, they'd be a, an employee of the of the collective or a 1099, you know, payment of the... But uh, surely we've got to start considering that. Oh, absolutely, you got to consider, consider it because, you know, you got to look at sustainability too. Can you keep going back to the same donors over and over and asking for more money? And, I mean, that's something I struggle with every day, and, and I'll, we'll probably dive into a little bit. But Garnet Trust has done a... I mean, Jeremy specifically has done an outstanding job of trying to find additional sources of revenue outside of just me begging donors for money. 
Um, and that, you know, there, there are a lot of different things that we've got a partnership with a beer, Steel Hands um, Brewery in Columbia. We've, we've partnered with them for stand, Sandstorm Game Day Lager. We get 20% of the profits from that beer. Um, and that's going to be a, 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 probably a, close to a six-figure deal for us this year. Um, and so those are the kind of things that, that help, uh, you know, compensate additional revenue. Uh, but no, I do. I agree. I think revenue sharing is absolutely on the table. You know, you brought up a point that you know you think a judge is probably going to rule in that favor. You got to realize it is a, a California judicial circuit. That, that's that's it, exactly what I'm thinking. And it goes to, but it you know it will go to a Supreme Court, a court of appeals, you know, down that road. Um, and so we'll, that that answer probably doesn't come for a couple of years. Um, and hopefully that gives some time for the you know whether it be federal government or state governments uh, to institute some kind of different differing rules that allow the the Constitution say, or the the judges to say, here's the law, and you got to make sure the law follows the. Mark, Mark, I tend to be blunt, and 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 I, you and I've talked about this, and, and I'll put it on camera. There's no reason Ole Miss has a better NIL than we do. What about Ole Miss? What what did they do right to begin with that got them ahead of the eight ball? I said earlier, and I'll say it again: Texas and Texas A&M are going to be unique animals. Michigan and Ohio State are going to be unique animals. Huge alumni, huge university, the very fluent fan base. But we're not a little poor school in a little poor state anymore. We've, we've kind of convinced ourselves that what, that's what we are. We are not bad, and we can't accept that as normal. What did Ole Miss do so well to, to, to be as effective early on in an Iowa world? Ole Miss did a couple of things. One, they got Walker Jones, who's running, who does a great job. He's a former um, player for, for the Ole Miss Rebels. had been in the sports agency world a little bit um, before this. Um, and then got into the collective side of things. And, you know, they they were probably in this, a very similar spot that Garnet Trust was, I'd say, 18 months ago. Um, and they went on they went on a, on a, on a year-long kind of tour around the state um, and kind of rate, and did well. I mean, they raised money, but they more of an educational process, which we've kind of been doing this year. I mean, you, you know that I've been at events across the across South Carolina just trying to talk I, about this I've kind of stuff. I've been to several with you. Yes. And, uh, and so... Um, they, they did that kind of process. And then as 2022 ended a little bit, um, then, you know, they ended on a, they started out eight and one, I think they ended up 10 and two, you know, in the regular season, um, maybe 11 and two after they won a bowl game, top 15, 10 team in the country. Um, and, uh, the school stayed over named Auburn university, who we've known for a while is, is always had donors that have been willing to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, they, um, they were interested in Lane Kiffin, and 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 Coach Kiffin made a comment in a in a press conference in December of 22, and said, you know, I might I might consider going to Auburn if I if I can get you know if I feel like I can get some more NIL support. I think that their monthly membership tripled at Ole Miss in their collective in a in like 10 days. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but it went from 2,000 to like 7,000 quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I don't, I don't necessarily know that I want Shane Beamer to have a hot season all of a sudden say he's going to leave. Cause that's, I don't want that to happen. Um, but, uh, and I mean, but I think that coach Kiffin has kind of embraced a little bit of that, you know, they are the rebels, but they, he's kind of embraced a little bit of that rebel culture. Um, it's a, you know, they're a school that has not necessarily had more success than South Carolina. I mean, they've won a couple championships back in the day under Johnny Bolton back in the day. Um, but they, they have a little bit more of that. I don't know that that SEC culture. I mean, you got to think. You, we we feel like we've been in the fight, and we because of our strength of schedule for the last you know thirty years in the conference. Ole Miss has had to play LSU, Auburn, and Alabama every year since probably since the war the end since the end of World War II. And um, so we can't sit here and and on top of that, they've got a big Power Five aggressive school just like we do in our school in our state in Mississippi State, and so. Um, they, I mean, you know, as, as much as we, as Gamecock fans want to complain about sometimes our strength of schedule, Ole Miss has not been far behind for a lot longer. And they, they, they have understood they've got to be a dedicated, invested fan base to be able to be competitive long-term. You mentioned you come from politics. I do as well. The majority of politics of today is dominated by the George Soroses of the world, the Koch brothers, the Peter Thiels, the super PACs, and the mega donors. Do you believe the more sustainable model is to go to our wealthiest donors again and again and again and again to get large sums of money again and again and again and again, or trying to do the Bernie Sanders model by finding smaller donors who will consistently give smaller amounts of money is that a more predictable and sustainable revenue stream? I, I told you, if we get 77,000 Gamecock fans, which is what we hold in Williams-Rice Stadium, to to give $10 a month, I mean, I think every single one of them could probably afford to give $10 a month. 
um, if they're if they're going to football games on a regular basis. How many season ticket holders do we have? Uh, there are, I think we sell. I don't know how many season ticket holders. I think it's about sixteen thousand. There are forty. Uh, there are 44, 45 season ticket season tickets, so 44,000 season tickets sold every year. Um, so of the 77, then 45 of them are, are you know committed season ticket holders. Um, and those are at different levels, obviously sure. from, from a from a bleacher in the upper deck to a a suite you know on the 50 yard line. Um, but uh, you know that that would give you almost nearly 10 million dollars of revenue. That would put us in the top three or four in the conference. How do we convince? The casual fan, the average fan. I'm not talking about you or I. Be. We be even. I mean, it's unhealthy how much I love Gamecock football and the frustration that I've endured as a as a lifelong fan. But but how do we engage that audience? I mean, you and I have traveled at times together, and we've spoken to big donors, and we thought to begin with that was the best way. It seems to me in our recent conversations, you've evolved into another way of thinking. You believe the better way to generate the money necessary to allow Beamer to be competitive year after year after year is to find 50,000, 60,000 people willing to write a $10 a month check. How do those people do that? How many of those people know about Garnet Trust? How many of those people understand the significance of a $10 contribution every month? Yeah, I mean, and they don't. I mean, and we've got to do a better job of continuing to do grassroots fundraising um, and, and getting out, you know, and that's a big part of us advertising at the stadium. Um, we've had a sig significant increase in growth since we've been able to do that and just have that brand um, recognizable, you know, as Garnet Trust is synonymous with Gamecock Athletics right now. Um, but it takes, I mean, it, it takes time. I'm not expecting it to happen overnight. I don't think my uh, evolution has totally changed. I think that you've still got to rely, you know, and like you said, you compared it to Super PACs. There, there's, a, there's a place for the Peter Thiel in the world, and there's a place for, for, for Joe the Plumber that can give you five bucks, right? But, but you and I, you in particular, because it's not, I mean, it's not a job of mine. It's a hobby more so, and, and I, I'm a pain in your ass. But um, we know who those two or 300 people are. We don't know who those 70-some-odd thousand people are, or do we? And how do we call that list? And how do yeah, we— Yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to continuously evolve that list. I mean, you got to find—you know, we went up to, to New York City for an event to try to find the Gamecocks in New York City. They go to a, a Gamecock-themed bar called the Mason Jar. Um, and we came across people that lived there, worked there, went to school at South Carolina, moved back up there, you know, work on Wall Street, do some investment banking, probably do pretty well. They come to one game a year. And you got to kind of do a little bit of data mining, and that's why it takes—it's not an overnight process. Or you got to find those folks. Um, I—I I, I was introduced to it. I did some research and found a, a prospective donor who, there—they didn't go to Carolina. They own an accounting firm in outside of New York City, and they have a cockaboose. And and they they have a cockaboose because their son's a junior at Carolina, and their sons—the other son's a junior in high school, and he wants to come to Carolina. So they—they kind of feel that they're going to be here for the next six to eight years. Um, and so. Uh, you know, those are the kind of folks that we've got to continue to identify, and that they're and they're in masses, right? I mean, you know, we've got a uh, we've got about three hundred fifty thousand living alumni. Um, you know, you mentioned the season ticket holders. Our goal is from the get go is if we could get five thousand people giving twenty five dollars a month, which is an average. I mean, some people are going to give ten, some people are give a hundred. Five thousand people giving twenty five dollars a month, uh, we would get to a point where we we are raising anywhere between one and a half and two and a half million dollars just from the low dollar. And then on top of that, you kind of supplement a little bit with some 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 bigger dollar donors, like you talk about the two to three hundred people. They can write you a a five thousand, ten thousand dollar check, right? Uh, and then you got to find some of those sponsorship deals too, right? You know, we got to go find a, a Snickers, we got to go find a, a home team barbecue, a you know a Mickey Fins, whatever it may be that we can supplement that. You know, I think six to eight million is the number that we've got to get to. What do you base that on? What? Why do we believe six to eight million? Because I'm with you. I think that's the number. What? What do you? I mean, you've done some analysis. Yeah. I mean, why, we, why is that the number? We, well, you you look at what some of these guys um, or guys and girls you know cost across the board, or what they're requiring for them to stay. Um, and like I said, I think the market corrects itself a little bit. Um, but we've also we've been fortunate. We've joined a, a group called the Collective Association. It's made up of 25 other collectives from other Power Five schools across the country. We met in Nashville uh, back in August with them. We met again in, in D.C. in September and October, doing some a little bit of lobbying type stuff. Um, but we kind of get an idea for what some of these other schools are. Some of these schools have published their numbers. Um, some of them haven't. Uh, and so you kind of get an idea for where some of these other schools are. You know, some of the schools that are on the high end, that they're there now. I don't know that they'll be there forever. Can you know if you if you're A and M and you go, you know, seven and five again this year? Does can you go back and ask the same guy for another million dollars? I don't know. You've he's given it to you two years in a row, and you've gone five and seven, seven and five. I don't know if he's giving you a million dollars in year three. Um, 
Now, maybe it gives you 100,000, right? So, I mean, maybe that number changes a little bit. But I do think the market corrects itself. And there's also a little bit on the on the NIL side of things, the true brand awareness. I mean, if a company does a deal, you know, I, I know that Dr. Pepper did a deal with uh, DJ Uangale at, at Clemson last year, right? He's not there anymore. They didn't have a great year. He didn't have a great year in 2022. I don't think Dr. Pepper is doing a deal with DJ Uangale again next year because it probably wasn't worth it for their brand value. And so, I mean, I think a lot of that stuff happens and corrects. I mean, like I said, the market corrects itself. If you and I are right, and there have been promises made but not kept in college football world, there's got to be some disgruntled players. Let's play out another hypothetical. Because we're, we're, we're kind of, we don't know. There, there's not a lot of history here. I mean, we've done, how long have NIL's been around? Since June, July of 21. Okay, so, so we're in our third year right. uh, of NIL's. Year, right? I mean, we're, we, it's a new thing. I mean, it, and a lot of people are learning as they go, and they're making mistakes. I mean, I, I know for a fact that schools have probably made too big a financial commitment to certain players and too small one uh, to other players. But the NFL makes mistakes. I mean, first-round draft choices bust at times. Fifth-round draft choices end up being all pros at other times. It's an inexact science. A little bit like recruiting. You know, the three-star makes an All-American team. The five-star just doesn't pan out. But but if, if, if you and I are right and our hunch and suspicions are, are correct, there are a lot of players out there that were made promises and the promise hadn't been kept. How important is having some sort of idea? How much money does Shane Beamer have and his staff have to go out? And I'll use the word uh, poach players from other teams that made promises and didn't keep those promises. Walk, walk me through. I mean, Shane can't go see a, a linebacker at Florida and say, hey, I understand things didn't work out here. Here's what we're willing to. He's got to have some idea and confidence in what you guys tell yes. him he can do. And, and we, we, we are in that process of budgeting right now. Um, tell me as much about that as you're comfortable. The budgeting process. Yeah, I mean, so we're trying to figure out what it's going to take to, to you know, obviously the, the number one priority is what you've got to budget for guys on your current team. So right? we've got a board, like a war room, and we've got safeties and cornerbacks and linebackers and, and We've got uh, allocations of funds for this position. It's a position of need. We don't need to spend a lot at wide receiver because we got these two. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, we got these two coming back. Uh, our offensive line, we, we got to go find two stars. So, so walk us through the interaction you have with the staff and how you bring uh, a degree of confidence that if they go make these promises, we, they can meet the obligations. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, once we once we kind of figure out what is it, it's going to cost to keep the guys on our team that, that we need to get an NIL deal with. Um, and we work through that, right? You know, that's we, the first priority. That's the first priority is retention. The Absolutely. kids that are already Gamecocks that we want to keep on the roster. We want to make sure that they have no interest in, in, in leaving at all, and we want to make sure that their NIL capabilities are as, as, bound, as bound as possible uh, at South Carolina, uh, then, you know, then we kind of get that number, right? And then on top of that, then, uh, we, we can hopefully formulate based on what our budget projections are for next year, as far as revenue comes in, we can go to coach Beamer and go to coach Paris, go to coach Staley, whoever it is and say, okay, this is what I give or take think is available for guys that we need to get out of the transfer portal. Now I mentioned, we can't use those numbers as an inducement, sure. right? But he understands, I mean, the, all the coaches understand that some, for some people, NIL is a big priority. Some of those guys just want to play. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a guy on our team that transferred from another, you know, another SEC school this year who did not get what he thought he was going to get at that previous school. Um, and to be honest with you, he didn't really ask for a whole lot whenever through his recruiting process um, because he just wanted to be a, a starting player. Um, and he knew he could get that opportunity at South Carolina because I think he also understands if he can do that and excel here, then there's probably a lot more money down the road for him in the National Football League. Um, but but you, you have to have an idea of what that looks like. Um, and so the you know, biggest thing is retention. Uh, and then we'll say, okay, well, listen, we really need to supplement a couple more backup offense linemen. I kind of have an idea what a backup offense lineman would probably cost in NIL dollars. Um, and, and so we kind of, you know, cause like I said though, it's not pay for play. So, I mean, they're not getting this money just cause they're coming to South Carolina. They have to do things outside of that. We don't enter into an agreement with that person until they get on campus. Um, and so, uh, we'll, we'll kind of have an idea for that. And then the second thing is, is, you know, are there going to be some freshmen that you want to, that, that you want to have some brand value? The, the reality is you brought up Nick Harbor earlier. Yeah, before he even took a snap of football at South Carolina, he probably had a bigger brand awareness and could help Garnet Trust or Garnet Trust Foundation raise more money just because of his name. 
I mean, there were there were businesses that were that were beating down the door to reach out to us because he's a five star top end athlete. He's he might be a guy that probably runs in the Olympics in a couple of years, not next year, but in twenty eight. Um, and one of the fastest guys in, in America. Um, and he's still learned how to play his receiver position a little bit, but he's getting a lot. I mean, he's, he's made tremendous strides in ten games. Um, and so, uh, but he had more you know brain awareness than 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 even you know somebody who's been on the team for for four or five years. Um, and so. Uh, you know, we got to make sure that we got to make sure we take care of some of those uh, freshmen once they get on campus uh, because they, they offer a lot of brand awareness and, and marketability. What is a typical deal worth, Mark? I mean, I've heard, you know, this quarterback at this school gets five million and that quarterback at the other school got a half. I mean, I, I, so, some of that I believe, some of that I'm, I'm highly speculative of or highly suspicious of. But, but I mean, without going into detail about this player and this amount of money, what is a typical what what is a typical say, arrangement like? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the average starting, you know, average starting power five football player is probably making in the neighborhood of fifty thousand dollars a year. Is that fair in your mind? I mean, to me, that's what we're getting. My, my theory is this, and you've heard me say this over and over and over again. The reason we're here is the NCAA chose to not give an inch, and if you don't give an inch, sooner or later you give a mile. And I do believe the pendulum has swung too far. And, and some kids are getting outrageous amounts of money, and they're not worth that, that sort of money. How long does it take for that to find some degree of equilibrium? I do think you probably, think we're heading there? I think it's probably pretty close. Because now you're in year two of doing this where you've paid some of these guys a little bit, and you got to find out whether it's worth it or not. Um, but, you know, it's all about marketability too, right? I mean, you know, how much does, does – uh, a X player help that collective raise more money. How much does that that player help X business make more money? Um, you know, there's a, a business here in Florence that did a deal with a with probably a future starting quarterback at South Carolina, and and I think it worked out pretty well for them. There was a return on that investment. I think that store probably does it again in a couple in 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 the next year. There might be more stores that want to do something like that. Um, so that I mean that you know that's that's a big determining factor is what what the marketability of these, some of these athletes are. How how supportive our highest profile player is Spencer Rattler. How supportive is Spencer being? I mean I know he's got to deal with Garnet Trust. How supportive of the idea of Garnet Trust is Spencer? Take the money out of the equation. How 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 much blood, sweat, and tears has he given to try and make Garnet Trust successful? Let me tell you this: we we did an event on. Tuesday night, Monday night, and he was 15 minutes early for the event. He was the first person to jump up and, and volunteer to do anything at the event. I mean, he has been, you know, I know that, that Spencer has probably gotten some, some, you know, bad publicity sometimes for some of his antics when he was 17 years old on a, on a Netflix show. Who hadn't? He, he has been a, he's an incredible leader. He's an incredible young man. Um, and he's been excellent for the Garnet Trust, and we we are very proud of our partnership with, with Spencer Rattler. And I I suspect that Spencer will continue to support the Garnet Trust in either financially or you know in videos or whatever it may be for years to come. As he is a, I think he will be a high profile player in the, in the NFL. Okay, walk walk me through the and and once again, I mean I think this is important. How many former players have been willing to support? How do we engage those former players? Yeah, I mean, there, there have been a lot of former players who have been willing to to do things for us. Not necessarily as much check writing, but we we did a we did some former players shot a video for us to help promote a beer that we've done with Steel Hands. Um, we've had a couple of players come back to some former events or some events that we've had that have helped us raise money. Stephen Garcia has been has been really super helpful. Um, Steve Tannehill has been super helpful. Ryan Brewer has been really helpful. Um, Mark Slidemore serves on our board. Um, actually going to see Marcus tomorrow. He's in Columbia this week. Um, and so those are, those, they, they have, I mean, those are just a few, uh, but there have been a ton of players that have been supportive in that aspect. I'd love to get some guys that want to write a check, um, obviously. Uh, but, uh, that's a, it's a work in progress because, you know, these guys look at it a little bit differently. I mean, they, you know, that yes, yes, they love the university of South Carolina, university of South Carolina gave them some great opportunities. Um, but they are, uh, you know, but they didn't get any NIL dollars. And there's a lot of those former players that, that have not been super supportive of it. Um, not supportive of the idea. Not that they don't sure. like Garnet Trust or what we're doing, but you know they 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 don't love the idea of NIL. But they'll come around to it. Mark, when I talked to you a year ago, you you were not encouraged. You sound a lot more encouraged now. I'm not pumping sunshine. I'm not selling Kool Aid. You know me better than that. But you and I talked about every day a year ago, and I heard a lot of concern in your voice. I hear some optimism now. 
Why? Why? Why are you optimistic about where we are juxtaposed to where we were? I, well, I feel like a little. I know a little bit more about what I'm doing. Sure, you do um, comparatively, but and can handle a little bit more of the situations differently. But I mean, we're in a place right now. I mean, like you know, a year ago there wasn't a guy in my position, right? And so I mean, there were a couple guys that left we were flying by the seat. There, of our there, and there were a couple guys that left that probably would have stayed had we been able to have some of those initial conversations with them. And now we're going to have a conversation with everybody on the roster. Uh, that's currently on the roster that's coming back next year that that we can get an NIL deal with. We're gonna have that conversation before the end of the regular season, um, and that's in a that's in a much better place than we were. You know, obviously, you always say money's your answer. What's the, you know what's the question? And yeah, obviously, we won't all, always want more money, um, but we're we're just in a, organizationally we're in a way better place. Our relationship with the school, we signed a partnership with the university to become the official NIL collective that allows us to advertise pretty much unlimitedly uh, at the stadium, put out signs, pass out flyers, you know, wear stickers, whatever it may be, um, sell merchandise uh, in, in the in the Gamecock Village, um, advertise at the basketball games, do all that kind of stuff. We, I mean, we're just in a, so much of a better of a place. Um, and our membership has grown about 40% since since you and I kind of started doing this thing as a hobby a year ago. Um, but we've, 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 we've almost doubled our membership. And, and, and I'll say this, uh, you, you've, we've talked together with about six or eight others that kind of got in on the grassroots level of this. I don't know that we win if we raise 10 million, but if we don't support an IL, we're going to get our ass cut in college football. We just are. I mean, you're not going to win in today's world. And, and, and I go back to the, the, this idea, this concept, this debate. I don't like it. That, I mean, if you don't like it, then just, you know, forget it. I mean, you're not going to win. I'm sorry. It's just, it's a new era. It's a new age. Um, kids are going to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness somewhere. And unless you choose to be a part of raising significant amounts of money, and, and, and I've said this in the politi- political world, you know this, there's some people out there with a lot of resources, and they're willing to write big checks. But, but every Gamecock fan who wants to win at football needs to be a part of an NIL. I believe that with every fiber of my – every Gamecock fan that wants to beat Clemson needs to write Garnet Trust to check for $10, $100, $1,000, $10,000 cuz we ain't whooping them if we don't fund an NIL. And, and I mean, you know, there I I tell this this repeatedly over and over. Everybody says, "Oh, well, I don't know if I can do that or what I can do." There's a spot for everyone. There's a spot there's a one-time fee that you can join for 5 bucks. There is a spot that you can give me $10,000 a month if you want to. And, and there's a spot for everybody in between. And so you got to find what's comfortable for you. Obviously, I know for a lot of folks, they're super invested in the Gamecocks with tickets and, and parking spaces and tailgating and condos and traveling to games. I met a guy the other day spent a 468 straight South Carolina football games. Hadn't, wow. missed, hadn't missed one since the Notre Dame game in 1984. Um, but he, uh, you know, but I mean, there's a spot for everybody. And, and so, it you know, for the person that sits in the bleachers and goes to one game every five years, there's a spot for you. For the person that sits in the suite on the 50-yard line, there's a spot for you. And we've got to make sure we, there isn't oil coming out the ground in South Carolina, but we got a damn loyal fan base. We and, we got, and we've got to make sure that that loyalty is shown through supporting Garnet Trust and NIL collectives. And, and, I, and I'll say this, and I wanted you to kind of engage our, our, our viewers and listeners you and I and your father and Rick have a call said about eight or 10 or 12 of us. We're kind of a little Gamecock family. We swap tickets. We swap parking spots. We tailgate together. We yell and cuss and fuss together. There are a thousand little groups like that. 10,000 little groups like that. Um, some have resources. So some don't, but, but if somebody wants to find out more, if they want you to come speak to a group, and, and and get on your calendar some way, somehow. How do they do that? Yeah. So, one, obviously, if you want to join, then go to GarnetTrust.com. You can join for, like I said, as little, you can join for a one-time donation of 5 bucks. You can join for 10 bucks a month. You can There's a, levels all the way up to $1,000 a month. If you're interested, this is the biggest thing we didn't talk about. There's a tax-deductible portion of this. If you want to write a larger check, you're interested in, in giving a larger gift that is tax-deductible, that goes to the Garnet Trust Foundation. Um, and, you know, we, we work with charities on, on a lot of that stuff, so the players are interacting with charities for those donations. Um, and so you can join, you can do the Garnet Trust Foundation. If you want to have me come speak to your group, you want to come meet with me, whatever it may be, um, I can come meet with you. It's, you can email me at mark at garnettrust.com.
Mark at GarnetTrust.com. We're going to do this once a month. Uh, have a call has agreed to be our sponsor. Uh, I would imagine you'll bring some other guests in yes. here, and then we'll hopefully get some some university personnel here. Um, I mean, we're in this thing together. Mark can't do it by himself. I mean, I'm out of it. I, I'm on the periphery. You know, I'm drinking liquor watching football now, but Mark's working hard. Jeremy's working hard. They've got a board assembled, a very competent board, a very loyal and dedicated Gamecocks. Um, got new ownership. So some things are happening there. And, and what makes me feel optimistic is the tone of your voice now compared to a, a year ago, because you wondered if you hadn't bitten off more than than you could chew. It's getting better. I mean, it really and truly is. And Gamecock fans, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Mark will admit, we were behind. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Doesn't matter whose fault it is. I could care less about whose fault it is. Point fingers doesn't fix anything. But we're catching up. And, and we're organizationally creating a, a, an enterprise or entity that, that will raise sufficient money to allow Shane Beamer to go out and get players, keep players that makes us more competitive in the future. That's why you get up every morning. And and be and it's a sustainable model. And that's what I'm most proud about is, you know, I, I think we're going to get to a point where I don't have to worry about if a check comes in that next month or not to make payroll, right? We're going to have different streams of revenue that allow us that we can we can budget correctly. We can make sure that we're, we're making our, our promises to our players and then we're going to have enough resources for all of our coaches at South Carolina to be competitive. And, and, and you and I agree. Guys, I'm telling you, if you if you give to Garnet Trust, we may not win. I mean, there, there's a chance that we don't win, but if you don't, there's zero chance we do. That's right. I, I can assure you of that. Thank you, my man. Go Cox. Go Cox. <laughs>